Good morning. This is David Irvine, Director of Choral Music, with our scripture reading for this morning. In the following passage, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem for the Passover festival. They have gathered in the upper room to celebrate the Passover meal. Chapters 13 through 17 of John record Jesus' words with his disciples, which is referred to as the farewell discourse. In this passage, Jesus tells his disciples he is leaving them to return to the Father. He reassures them with a promise to send the Holy Spirit to be with them. Reading Jesus' words from John 14, beginning at verse 11. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me any more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. The Word of the Lord. Greetings, First Press family. With today's message, I return to our series on the Gospel of John, Jesus Up Close and Personal. Each Gospel writer has a distinct way of presenting the teachings of Jesus. In Matthew, we're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount found in chapters 5 through 7. I think the entirety of Mark's Gospel is a discipleship manual, but in particular, chapters 8, 9, and 10 offer a threefold pattern in which Jesus predicts his passion and impending death on the cross, followed by some act on the part of one or more disciples or something they say that indicates they don't get it. And then followed by that with Jesus correcting their misunderstanding, either in word or in deed. And then in Luke, we have 
a concentration of the teachings of Jesus through parables told in chapters 10 through chapters 20, chapter 10 through 20. And now finally, in the Gospel of John, the concentration of Jesus' teaching is found in chapters 13 through 17 in what is commonly referred to as the Upper Room Discourse or the Farewell Discourse. Our text for today comes from this corpus or this section, chapter 14. Everything Jesus says in this chapter to his disciples is set against the backdrop of him saying, I am going to the Father. Commensurate with this announcement, Jesus, emphasis of, Jesus emphasizes his personal connectedness with his followers is like that of his connectedness with the Father. And he tells them this connection will not be lost by his departure. In effect, he is saying to them, I am with you always. I would like to walk us through the three sections of this particular text or this reading and look at how each section has a pattern of a theme followed by a benefit or promise. And then I'd like to make some observations of, of how this teaching applies to our situation or our lives today. The first section, verses 11 and 12, the theme is that of mutual indwelling, the indwelling of Jesus and the Father. He says, I am in the Father and the Father in me. And then Jesus adds, if you don't take my word for it, then take my works as evidence that what I'm saying is true. Jesus' words and his works are interchangeable. They amount to the same thing. Similarly, Jesus suggests that the same connection that he has with his Father, he also has with his disciples and with us. And then comes his promise or benefit. Those who believe in me will do the same works as me, even greater works. Well, we know from John's Gospel that Jesus has turned water into wine. He's healed the sick He's multiplied a few loaves of fish, I mean, a few loaves of bread to feed 5,000, and he's given sight to a man born blind, and he's raised Lazarus from the dead. What works could his disciples possibly do that are greater than these? And in what sense does Jesus mean that we will do such works that are greater? The difference is not between what Jesus does and what his disciples will do, but what Jesus has done so far compared to what he will do through them as a result of his going to the Father. Two possible ideas of what Jesus has yet to do up to this point. One would be the forgiveness of sins, which has yet to be achieved and will be offered through Jesus' death on the cross. And that still has to be communicated to the world. And the second that has yet to happen is the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentile world. I have two observations to make. It's significant that Jesus' works are interchangeable with Jesus' words. Both are the revelation of God working through him. When Jesus promises his followers that we will do even greater works, our first inclination is to think that this refers to some sensational or miraculous act 
that we perform or demonstrate. But what if the work is speaking words of healing to someone who feels lost or discouraged? What if it means telling someone about God's love and forgiveness? The reason I think this gets more at the meaning of this text is that the effect of greater work does not bring attention to us, which I think a miraculous act or sign of some kind would, but rather it brings attention to Jesus. The works we do as his followers are a continuation and a confirmation of the reality of the living Christ's presence in this world. As followers, we live out the gospel, and Christ is able to continue his work through us. The second section is verses 15 through 19. The theme here is captured in the words, All who love me and keep my commands, I will not abandon. I will come to them. And the benefit is how Jesus brings this about. He says, I will ask the Father to send to you another advocate, the Spirit of truth, to help you, to be with you. He will live with you and be in you. And then John does a typical thing here of having Jesus compare or contrast this realization on the part of his disciples with that of the world. He says, the world cannot accept the Spirit because the world does not see the Spirit and the world does not know the Spirit. He says something similar could be said of him. The world will not see me anymore, but he tells his disciples, you will see me. The word Jesus uses to refer to the Holy Spirit in John's gospel is paraclete. Translations vary in how they convey its meaning. Here are a few of them. One is the term helper, which suggests the Spirit is sent to give God's people strength and energy to live for God and to witness to his presence and love in the world. Another word that's used to translate paraclete is comforter, which implies having someone come alongside us when we are grieving or discouraged to share our experience and to provide comfort. The difficulty, the difficulty may not be removed. In fact, it's still present and very real. But our ability to cope with it and to meet its challenge head-on is bolstered by the Spirit's present at work with us. And finally, the word advocate. This is the preferred choice of the New International Version, which was read for us earlier, and most modern translations. The setting of this word is that of a courtroom. An advocate is the person who is called in or called alongside to serve as the representative who intercedes or provides a defense on behalf of the client as needed. What is confusing is that Jesus says the Spirit will be sent as another advocate, which makes us question in what sense has Jesus been an advocate for his disciples? It makes more sense if we add a comma, so it reads something like this, God will send another, comma, an advocate. Secondly, Rather than just look at the de definition of this term advocate and what it means, I think the image or picture of this role, 
helps us get at the meaning even better. Imagine someone who comes alongside us in a competent and qualified manner and is prepared to be with us and to do whatever is needed for us. Related to this promise is the fact that this other will not come until Jesus, the first one sent from God, has returned to the Father. Jesus tells his disciples that his time with them is short, but the Spirit will be with them forever. Jesus implies that the two, he and the Spirit, are in fact one and the same. The presence of the Spirit is equivalent to that of Jesus, which is why he tells his disciples, I will come to you, and adds, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Jesus will be absent only as far as the world is concerned. What Jesus has in view here is his resurrection, which follows his departure from his disciples through death which is why he then says, because I live, you also will live. Life in the Gospel of John is often translated as resurrection or eternal life. I find it significant how aware Jesus is of the emotional needs of his disciples. Talk about up close and personal. Jesus anticipates what it will be like for them to be left alone and what it might feel like for them to be on their own. So he speaks intimately and personally about not abandoning them as orphans. The promise that Jesus makes of the Holy Spirit is his promise to us that he is with us always. This is different than what someone might say about keeping the memory of a loved one alive and with them at all times. In that instance, the survivor is the one who recalls the loved one's presence and that person's influence in their life. But with the Spirit, the presence and the initiative comes to us from God and is God's perpetual gift to us. I don't have to create a sense of Jesus being present with me. I simply accept the reality of the Spirit in me in my life, in all circumstances, and at all times. The third section is verses 23 through 27. The theme here is, Whoever loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will make our home with them. All that I'm saying to you comes from the Father who sent me. I speak while still with you, but the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. He will remind you of everything I have said to you. The teaching of the Holy Spirit is a continuation of Jesus' own teaching. He will remind us of what we have already been taught by Jesus. Whenever a disaster or a crisis occurs, there are always people who want to interpret the experience as a message from God. I am in favor of turning to God during such an experience so that we grow deeper in our trust of God. However, I sometimes find it distressing what some preachers say um, and find that their message is not always congruent, nor is it continuous 
with the message of the gospel. Whenever they try to tell us what God is teaching us from such events, I think if we follow the lead of the Holy Spirit, we will be directed to the words of Jesus, words which are words of life and confidence in God, not words veiled with a threat that elicits an unnecessary fear. The content or the curriculum of what the Spirit teaches is not informational nor intellectual. We do not increase our IQ when we receive the Holy Spirit, nor is it an increase in our intellectual wisdom. What we do receive is God's truth mediated to us by God's Spirit. No one comprehends the things of God unless God reveals it. The Spirit has been given to enable us to understand. The Spirit interprets Jesus as the focal point of all God's revelation. Recently, a parent relayed to me an incident involving her preschool-age son, which occurred this past week. Turns out the family was out for a walk when a police officer was driving around their residential neighborhood and pulled alongside the family to speak to this child. The son asked what was happening with the people who were doing the wrong thing. The officer assured him that no one was doing the wrong thing. He was simply driving around, making sure that they don't. After the officer left, the preschooler said to his mom, Aren't you happy the police officer is watching over us just like God? At four years of age, or five, I'm not sure, I think he's, I think he's five. Um, I admire how much this particular young man um, has his head and his heart so well connected. I only wish mine were more connected, more of the time. I think this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to not just take what we know in a cognitive way, but to take what we know deep in our hearts and to bring the two together so that our faith and our reason uh, work together. The benefit in this section is Jesus' words, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Again, he draws a contrast with the world, not the way the world gives peace. In promising us his peace, Jesus qualifies what he means for us by adding the words, Do not let your hearts be troubled and be not afraid. His point is that the peace he leaves with us is not what the world calls peace. The world thinks of peace as the absence of conflict. Jesus knows, as his followers, we are not immune to pain or suffering. The peace he provides is not incompatible with life's difficulties. The peace Jesus gives resides in our hearts, not in our outward circumstances. We all want this virus to be over so we can return to our former way of life. However, it appears we have not yet reached the zenith of its outbreak in California, nor do we know what its impact might mean for our community. Getting over the virus without going through it reminds us, reminds me 
of how many want to celebrate Easter without observing Jesus' suffering and death on the cross. There is no glory in Christian theology that does not include the way of suffering. When Jesus speaks of going to the Father, it presumes the way to get there is through the cross. There is no crown without the cross, no joyous experience of the Spirit without a corresponding taste of Christ's suffering. The peace Jesus leaves us is not some form of insurance policy against what we might encounter in the world. Rather, it is the promise that he will be with us whatever comes our way. Later, he will assure his disciples of his presence with these words. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have distress, but take courage. I have overcome the world. Thanks be to God. Amen. Before I close out this sermon, I want to tell you that next week, Emily will be preaching about Jesus' trial and and arrest, and pardon me, of, of Jesus' arrest and trial and, and his crucifixion, leading up to his crucifixion. Because it's the first Sunday of the week, we want to also observe our usual pattern of celebrating the Lord's Supper, even while we're distant and separated. So we're going to do one of two things. We're going to provide a recording in which we will um, give you an opportunity to partake of communion as it's as as we um, present it in a video format. But we also want to feature three opportunities that would normally occur within our worship times at um, eight thirty for the eight o'clock service, at nine thirty for the nine o'clock service, and at eleven o'clock for the ten thirty service, in which we will do a Zoom. A gathering of all who are able to join us, and we will partake of communion together in that way, in a in a live um, enactment of us sharing communion together. So I mentioned this so that you might find the elements and prepare to have them ready. You can use any form of bread that you would have at home, and then um, any kind of dark juice or wine. Or, um, or if you don't have those, then some substitute that you would think appropriate um, to that celebration. So we'll send out more details to follow, but I wanted to at least give you a heads up at this point. God bless you.